Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number 71 of Thyroid Nation Radio live talk show and podcast. I'm Dana Bowman, founder of ThyroidNation.com. And I'm Tiffany Maladnitz of GratefulGarden.biz. Today we are talking with Jessica Drummond, founder and CEO of the Women's Integrative Health Institute. No, excuse me. Yeah, Integrative Women's Health Institute. I always say it wrong. <laughs> I almost typed it wrong earlier too. I was like, "Grab the brain awake." We got to grab. We got to go back and fix that. Right? We're talking to her about thyroid health and the female athlete, and it's so important. And we're so excited. So, I mean, that's a topic we haven't ever discussed. So, I think she knew that and picked it on purpose, don't you? I do, and I'm kind of excited with the girls. And you know, my history with sports as a young athlete, and I can't wait. Honestly, I mean, this is just—it's a great and super, well, super I, important topic. Me with my thyroid and my Zumba and my adrenals and uh right. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dive right in, right? This is a good good subject and I think a very uh, misunderstood subject too. So mm-hmm. I'm super excited. Uh, real quick, if you've missed any of the Thyroid Nation podcast, you can pick them up really easily. Download and listen to them uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, and Acast. ITunes is for the iPhone and Stitcher is for the Android and Acast is just online. So check them all out, right? <laughs> you know, just we just got to cover all of our bases, right? That's okay. that you are the czar, yes. Let me tell you a little bit about this amazing woman we're going to talk to today. Jessica Drummond has over a decade of experience as, as a women's and pelvic physical therapist. That's kind of a mouthful, too, and has a unique perspective on the integrative conservative options for pelvic pain management. She is passionate about caring for and empowering women who struggle with women's and pelvic health conditions and equally passionate about educating and supporting clinicians and competently and safely using integrative tools to transform women's and pelvic health care, which really, you know, that really is something that isn't talked about often, so she's kind of like a... She stands out in the field for sure. She was educated at the University of Virginia, Emory University, the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, Nutrition and Duke Integrative Medicine. Oh, man. And is currently a doctoral student in clinical nutrition at Maryland University of Integrative Health. And this woman just must study all the time. Holy cow. I know, we're right? A big brain. We're, we're talking to a, one of those smarties today. Can't wait. <laughs> And it looks like she is with us, so with no further ado, let's bring her on. Good morning. Hello. How are you? We're great. Good. How are you this morning? I'm great. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And we've been trying to do this show for a while, and that uh, just hasn't worked out. So I'm I'm thrilled to finally have you, Jessica. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. I know I'm sorry my schedule is so insane, but here we are now. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Well, I want well, to jump, right. jump in. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I want to jump in. I want to talk about your, your backstory and give us a little history about how you got to be where you are right now. Yeah, well, you know, from a career perspective, so I graduated from uh, graduate school as a physical therapist in 1999, and I started out, uh, as a lot of physical therapists do, in sports medicine and orthopedics, and I had been an athlete myself, you know, talking about female athletes. I was a competitive gymnast for about 13 years in my childhood, and then I was a collegiate cheerleader. And, you know, I was always very active. In graduate school, I ran races and, you know, just always 
physically active. Exercise has always been a part of my life. And then when I first went into practice as a physical therapist, shortly after I got out of school, I did I learned a lot about uh, orthopedics and sports, but I started working with women who had similar kinds of injuries, but specifically during pregnancy and um, postpartum period or right after breast cancer surgery. And so over the next few years, I specialized in women's health and Part of that is also dealing with women who have issues like incontinence and pelvic and sexual pain and injuries, pelvic injuries from birth uh, problems, birth trauma, endometriosis, interstitial cystitis, and other causes of bladder pain. So, you know, for the next decade or so, I was very specialized in working kind of across the board as a generalist in women's health issues, everything from back pain in pregnancy to, you know, urinary incontinence when someone's powerlifting in CrossFit or something like that. And so it, it was really interesting. And what what I didn't learn as a physical therapist was that a lot of these pelvic floor issues have a hormonal component, and I also didn't learn that they also have a gut microbiome component because we weren't even talking about that, you know, five years ago, never mind uh, when I started doing this work. Nobody, the word gut microbiome was not really in the vocabulary. And I had my own kind of physiologic hormone crash, uh, as we've all experienced a lot of a lot of us go into this integrative world because the traditional healthcare system fails us when we have um, things like HPA axis dysfunction or any kind of you know even estrogen dominance or you know I'm sure you, you as you know with thyroid imbalances and you know essentially I had adrenal fatigue after the birth of my uh, first daughter and. We now understand that that's kind of a simplified way to look at it, but if you think about, you know, I've, I went to school for 1,700 years and I'm still in school now. And, <laughs> you know, I was I was a, an athlete and I was a type A kind of employee and then I had a baby and it all fell apart. So as I learned to heal myself using more of a functional medicine approach, um, I realized that that approach could be a valuable component to some of my most complex clients who are struggling with pelvic pain. And that's really about five years ago is when I started integrating all of it. And the more I understand functional medicine, the more I realize that it really applies to a lot of these things that we see, you know, young girls with stress fractures and, and stuff like that, you can't ignore uh, the systemic components. Oh, gosh. You know, that just hit home because um, – because my uh, sister suffers with thyroid problems, and and so does my mom, and you know family history. And um, my sister's second has um, back issues. She's a cheerleader, and mm-hmm. they do gymnastics, and she's got stress fractures, and she's got all kinds of things going on. And you know, this isn't just this is you know, of course, we're talking about things that have affected you and and us and and women, but you know, kids, like you said, I mean. Wow, this is right. this is huge. Yeah. Well, and these female female athletes start so early. I mean, if you look at just between the three of us, you know, the the early age of training for things, and uh, you know, I can't even imagine. You know, nowadays they're so intensive. I mean, just seeing between my two daughters and and getting ready to go on point, and my son in baseball. I mean, they and they actually started late. You know, all of the yeah. four of them started late. You know, and you see these kids that have been playing, you know, intensive baseball since, you know, five years old. 
and you think, wow, you know, I often sit there in the stands and wonder, you know, is there, you know, are their bodies really ready for this type of intensive training? You know, I, that's just a, maybe it's a mom thing sitting up there. I don't know. <laughs> but I often ask myself that, you know, this, even just the stress and, and yeah. you know, uh, the effects of that on the gut at, the, at that age, you know, I just, uh. I don't know, maybe it's just a, I'm sure you guys do. Please tell me you guys do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that, you know, there's a couple of issues going on in, in children's sports in particular. Number one, you know, this really early specialization. So, you know, focusing only on baseball all year round or focusing only on ballet or, you know, and and on the one hand it's tricky because if you're really going to get at the highest levels of some of these, especially these sports for girls, you know, the peak uh, elite gymnasts are like 15 years old. So the the peak is really early, but um, for, to have a, and that's, that's a really different goal is to kind of get to an elite level of a certain sport than to be optimally healthy and active and being involved in sports and fitness for a lifetime. Because in a sense, you know, if we, if we know from data that's, gosh, more than a decade old, that there is a transient change in thyroid hormones. There's some hormone suppression during intense exercise in adults, but this also holds in children and when you combine it with really early sports specialization, uh, calorie and nutrient, uh, you know, calorie suppression for girls who are really concerned about being too overweight, you know, especially these body image kinds of sports, ballet and gymnastics right. and ice skating, and you know, and then they're not getting enough nutrient intake. You, the long-term effects of that are very much related to HPA access dysfunction, kind of a, a breakdown of the stress response system, thyroid function, and reproductive function, which, you know, we need to really start looking for in girls uh, early on because, you know, it's a, it's a transient and kind of short-lasting thyroid suppression if everything else is supported, if she's fully, you know, she's got plenty of nutrients and plenty of rest and she's not focusing on only one sport at a time. But when you add all of these things together, which is more commonly what happens, you know, you can start triggering long-term T3 suppression, insulin suppression, leptin suppression, and that's very costly to their long-term metabolic functioning, their ability to go through puberty and be pregnant and things like that. Right, and I just right. forgot that you know I am, um, of course, looking back. I was a cheerleader as well and did gymnastics, and, and same thing as you, um, Jessica. And I had a stress fracture. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know <laughs> I about it. So we're talking about it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot. I have a lower back. I mean, like really bad. Like you could see it. You know, like you forgot yeah. all about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's we like oh, it, injury. You know? you know, injuries. That's just part of the process. But really, we have to start screening girls because uh, we're, we used to think of, of this combination of things. We, it used to be called the female athlete triad. So if you had a girl athlete who showed up with a stress fracture, she had any degree of disordered eating. It didn't have to be a full-blown eating disorder, but sometimes it was. But any kind of disordered eating, uh, a stress fracture, and any kind of menstrual irregularity. And sometimes people didn't really consider it being that bad unless there was, like, as you said, like a full-blown 
one fracture that they could see, complete amenorrhea, and, you know, diagnosed with anorexia or bulimia. But we now know that they, and they've actually broadened the definition. It's now called um, relative energy deficiency in sport, which uh, is, is the acronym is REDS. And because for two reasons, one, it's not just in girls. So as you said, you know, your sons are also playing baseball intensely all year round. You know, we're seeing issues in male sports as well. But also we see, we realize that, you know, the, free, the stress fracture, which is the big thing that we, you know, address because it's obvious and it's painful and you can see it on x-ray, but there are all of these other issues that go along with that, everything from, you know, mental health disturbances, anxiety and depression to, um, you know, chronic pain to cardiovascular impacts, even, you know, earlier, early stages of cardiovascular disease and immune system function, and then long-term effects on the hormone, hormonal system, including, you know, the thyroid, which, as you know, is really problematic in terms of quality of life down the road. Hmm. Whoa, that's a powerful moment. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's kind of a reverse backwards flower field moment because it's such a – Wow, it hits home for me and my daughter and, and my sister's girls and, and my son and you, Tiff. And I'm just sitting here, like, crinkling my eyes going, gosh, if we only knew. Like, it's just it's frustrating. I'm so glad there are people out there like the Jessica Drummond. <laughs> because, <laughs> right, for people in the future, how wonderful to at least have the knowledge that you're sharing. Because yeah, it's really, really I think- important. You know, and as clinicians, we have to be aware of this. You know, we have to be screening for these things when they show up very subtly. So it can be as subtle as, you know, menstrual disturbances. Their periods are irregular or they don't get their periods, you know, before by, by age 15 or, you know, mm-hmm. they skip a few months. You know, it doesn't have to be full-blown amenorrhea. It can be just moderate menstrual cycle, you know, kind of disturbances. And things like, you know, teen girl athletes shouldn't have dry skin and brittle nails. They shouldn't have a little bit of hair loss. Like, there should be a lot of robustness. They shouldn't be getting colds and flus all the time, Um, insomnia, fatigue. So we can start screening before there's a fracture, you know, if they're, if she's having a lot of muscle soreness that's not resolving or, you know, symptoms of overtraining are really the same thing, um, heart palpitations, fatigue, and even if a girl starts to just resist going to practice, or she doesn't have a lot of right. goals around her or sport depression. anymore. Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It's just not fun anymore, you know, and I think we need to see, see this in adults women athletes too, you know, a lot of times women are pushing themselves to work out really intensely for the sake of, you know, wanting to fit into the bikini or whatever, not to really enjoy the movement, you know, and it's a really big difference between having fun in sports and exercising and being social and having sport goals and celebrating those goals and feeling, you know, exercise feeling kind of, um, invigorating versus exercise feeling really depleting. So when your daughters are like, oh, I don't want to go to ballet, and you say, you know, it starts so early. My five-year-old was in this, like, seven-hour-long performance a couple of weeks ago. I mean, she wasn't in the whole I thing. I know, but right? To the <laughs> but, 
<laughs> right, right. Oh, my God. She literally <laughs> fell asleep in the car on the way to the performance because it didn't even start till like, 3.30 in the afternoon. Oh, no. <laughs> And oh, I was like you? thinking, she's five. She's my little, my younger one. Oh my one. god! And those are the <laughs> cutest ones. Those are the cutest performances, too. You know, I think it's so important. You mentioned, um, you know, of course, joy. Just period for anybody is a huge uh, health uh, importance. But for my kids, you know, um, we're kind of lucky because we're homeschooled. So their joy, I've always told them, you know, and and their dad as well. You do this as long as you enjoy it because I was, you know, I was pushed, my parents, and I'm obviously, you know, parents push for, for the best interest of the child or what they think is best. But mm-hmm. I got to a point where it was so much, you know, getting up at 3.30 in the morning and, you know, that it wasn't fun anymore for me. And so I always tell the kids, and they're very lucky because I waited with all of that stress and, and I waited to, until they wanted to do it. So the girls really didn't start dance my third daughter's she started the earliest at at six but mm-hmm. you know we said when you're ready when you want to and um joy is a huge component i think for children we see a lot of of people that want the best for their children so they they put them in sports or put them in dance you know uh and the child's not really enjoying it you can see it on their face it's it's really very sad and i it's probably i'm extra sensitive to it just because that was my childhood, you mm-hmm. know, in ballet at four and, you know, the whole nine yards. And my, my oldest daughter, who's now 12, you know, she says, Mom, why did you wait to start us so late? You know, now it, it's kind of like skipped a generation where now they're like, you should have started us earlier. I'm like, just <laughs> right. never, you just can never win, you know what I mean? No, no. No. And I'm like, well, honey, I wanted to wait until that's what you wanted to do. I mean, you played tennis, you did, you know, we kind of put them in little things and saw what they did with it. But joy and the child enjoying it, in, in, in my opinion, is a really critical component don't you think because that that sort of alters the stress factor just a little bit when someone's enjoying it or when they're not enjoying it yeah and i i think it's it and it's definitely like a red flag if they're not you know and and i think it 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 actually it changes the physiologic experience you know if they're enjoying it you're not going to be adding more physiologic stress from the emotional stress of having to right. go to practice and, you know, how, you know, maybe it's a coaching relationship problem or maybe it's just intensity or maybe it's intensity of a lot of other things that are going on in their lives and this is like the stressor that broke the camel's back. So, it, yeah, I think it's a really good indicator. If your child is having fun and they're not getting sick all the time and they have they love their coach and they love the kids that they're, you know, doing the sport with, their team, and it's a really positive experience, then there's so much, so much benefit to exercise. But it's when it starts to be, you know, you have evidence of them being like, oh, mom, you know, I just don't want to go to practice again, or my ankle hurts, or my back hurts, or I'm too tired today. You know, we need to be mindful. Those are the red flags that that start really early, and we can can tune into. Um, Maybe they just need more nourishment. Maybe they need a little bit more sleep, you know. Right. Oh, my gosh. And I love 
that's that's another flower filled moment, truly. It's I mean, huge. I, just to, I just want to sit there and like let that resonate, not with just with me, but for the listeners because that's that's ginormous. I can't even I can't even express how when you said that, like I got goosebumps on my body because it's a really huge deal. And earlier when you said when you mentioned the word joy, it hit home with me too, Tiss, because that's that's what I want for my kids. That's what I want. Right. And so if they are enjoying it then okay, and if they are not, then okay, too. No matter what the grandparents say or the friends or the sisters, <laughs> I mean, really, you know, if they are enjoying it, then we'll, you know, stick with it. But um, I have, you know, as you're talking and thinking about all these things for for myself, and I, uh, of course, had the stress fracture and cheerleading and all that stuff and all, all ton, tons of issues, you know, that led up to where I'm at at this point. But one of them is, when I was first diagnosed, Jessica, I, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in Costa Rica, and the doctor didn't even mention the word autoimmune, so, I mean, or lifestyle or nutrition or absolutely anything except for here, take a pill, which, you know, I was fine with because I had been sick for six months or, or not feeling well, and I was like, finally, oh, good, a pill that's going to make me happy, you know? Right. <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even ask any questions, right? So I didn't ask any questions. And the very next day I got on a plane and told him that I was going to uh, a Zumba convention. And, uh-huh. you know, it's a four-day intensive <laughs> Zumba convention. <laughs> and, right? And he didn't even, like, bat an eye. And so looking back, you know, so then, of course, after a year of, you know, medicine, you know, of course, you know, T4 only, it was all I could get. And Costa right. Rica, and after that, my adrenals, that was it. I couldn't do anymore. He never even, yeah. like, I never. I thought, well, I'm doing something good for myself. This is when I started thyroid nation right. and asking questions and all that kind of stuff. But, wow, because really my mom asked me just last night. She said, well, honey, whatever happened to your Zumba? And I'm like, let's just not even talk about it. I mean, I love it so much. I just do. Yeah. But I, my I adrenals are like, forget it. No, yeah. don't even think it's- about it. Well, and it's it's too much intensity when you already have the dysfunction. So that's why, you know, I'm so passionate about educating clinicians and even pediatricians and physical therapists that work with kids because, you know, if you're already in perimenopause or you're postpartum and you're breastfeeding and you're trying to do Zumba or you're a personal trainer as a job and you then on top of that have Hashimoto's or HPA access dysfunction or both and, you know, you can't – it's so much harder – to recover from that to the level where you'll be able to do Zumba, certainly a Zumba convention. I mean, it's one thing to do a Zumba class from time to time, but, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, it's so much more difficult. Whereas if you're paying attention for the, the whispers, you know, around puberty, around maybe the first pregnancy kind of knocks you off kilter and let's really fully recover from that, before, you know, we're we're doing CrossFit or, you know, I've, I've had a lot of patients who they're having infertility the second, you know, not the first time, but the second time because the first pregnancy was like the straw that broke the camel's back and then immediately they were trying to lose the baby weight. So they were in Zuma, they were in CrossFit, they were running, right. you know, 10 weeks postpartum. Right. And they weren't listening to the fact that, oh, my milk supply dried up really quick or I had painful sex because my estrogen level was so, so low, you know, because they weren't 
noticing that they didn't have the and with thyroid we always think meta, metabolic right so we need, thyroid is the metabolic driver and if you can't if you don't have enough juice to kind of perform these uh really expensive metabolic processes like pregnancy and breastfeeding and postpartum and um then you certainly can't add on top of that a very intense exercise protocol so let's all the women out there who are overweight I know, and, right? and and just had babies who were, you know, wanting to, to, to lose weight, you know, they all just went, Oh, great <laughs> But you know, it's the truth. And it's, you have to really listen to your body and no one's gonna listen well, for and you. How many, so. Honestly, how many women, right? Just you know, with thyroid issues or not with thyroid issues are exercising to lose weight and they're exhausted. They're yeah. exhausted, but they're not stopping because there's that, you know, um, this is this is healthy. Good for me. Right? Yeah. It's good for yeah. me, right? So exactly. Like, I, I mean, I was at, exhausted. Yeah. I was at the peak of my, like, adrenal fatigue symptoms. I was working 10 hours a day in a really intense hospital situation. I had a two-year-old daughter. My husband was, like, traveling full-time for work, so I didn't know what was wrong with me. So I had insomnia, and I was just trying to sleep better. So every day I would come over from work and swim like a crazy person so I could try to get so tired that I wouldn't wake up. (laughs) It, of course, didn't work, you know. Right. Um, so this is what we're doing to ourselves because we think that exercise and is nourishing, and it is to a point. In fact, exercise is one of the best medicines that exists, but that level of intensity, if your hormones are out of balance, and that includes the thyroid, absolutely, you've got to kind of re-nourish the system. And if we get back to athletes, there was um, – some data published in the like 2010, 2013, looking at elite level and, and high level collegiate female athletes in the U.S. and Australia, and up to like 92% of these really high level elite athletes were simply not even getting enough calories to meet their needs, and wow. only like 16% of them were getting enough water. And then if you start looking at, you know, micronutrients, which are essential for thyroid, things like selenium and zinc and iron, you know, they about 50% were literally nutrient deficient, not enough vitamin D, elevated cortisol levels, right? You know, (laughs) B12 magnesium. That That is insane. That to me is absolutely absurd. But when you think about it, right, you think, you know, these high-level athletes, you think that they all have nutritionists and dietitians and, and people who are coaching them to cover those bases, and they're not. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And this isn't, you know, this isn't old data. This is only data from about three years ago, four years ago. It, that's crazy. <laughs> and we have the Olympics coming up, and we can't just leave I that out. I because- that. Right? We've got the Olympics coming up. And, you know, I just I just want to yeah. scream this from the rooftops. I just want to say, you know, I mean, I guess they're at that point where, you know, you want to win, I suppose. You know, you've trained, and so they're at a different mindset. So maybe we can start out with our young ones in the future for looking at well, things differently. Of course, be competitive, but holy moly, can you just imagine? Okay, first of all, let's just take a swimmer 
is not getting enough water, right? Right. And she probably has, um, you know, hormone issues or whatever, not getting enough nutrients. And then she's jumping in the chlorine and swimming. Right. <laughs> right. Talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, am, chlorine exposure. exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Not enough calories. Not enough yeah. calories for an calories. athlete. I, seriously, like, I have this look on my face right now. I wish I could take a picture. Me too. Because, I don't know. You just think these are the best of the best, and, and you just assume, there's that word, that that someone is coaching them on, on that particular. I mean, that's that's imperative. You have to have enough calories to be able to to perform well. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's my gosh. I'm seriously, I'm stuck in a flower feral girls. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting yeah. there thinking about the swimmers. Can you imagine? Divers, yeah. whatever. Well, and, you know, oh, sit, step back, though, and think about your 12-year-olds and your 10-year-olds, right. you know, who are who are working out like four days a week doing whatever their sport. You know, my older daughter's 12, and she has a lot of friends who do soccer and dance. Right. And, you know, by the time they're 12, you know, my daughter's, my older one is not some, as much into sports. She does singing. So, um, but her friends at this point, so the five-year-old is sort of in amongst the, the little ballerinas who are just starting. You know, they go to class <laughs> maybe twice a week, <laughs> maybe right, once right. a week, you know. Um, but the the 12-year-olds, one of my daughter's friends w- did that same day that my other one did the, you know, seven-hour performance. She was in about three minutes right. of it. But my, you know, the 12-year-olds, the 13-year-olds, the 14-year-olds were, were doing 10, 15, 20 dance performances in one day. And, right. you know, no one is sitting around telling those girls, you know, what to eat. I mean, they come to my house and eat anything I put in front of them half the right. time or or they're very picky because, you know, they're they're you know, they basically only eat white food or they only eat fast food or they eat junk right. food most of the time. You know, my kids because I'm a nutritionist, you know, and I cook all the time at home, they, they have they're pretty flexible eaters, but if you take them anywhere they'll they'll eat french fries you know i mean that's that's what 12 year olds eat right. you know right and right. so you know certainly some of the olympic athletes have you know professional nutritionists that are working with them but right. a lot of the collegiate athletes don't um most of the high school athletes i would say probably none of the high school athletes do and, you know, they're eating burgers and pizza, and some of them are not eating much at all because they're worried about their, they've got weight and body image issues. Right. And and so, you know, especially for girls at that time, it, it's really easy to see how they could have nutrient deficiencies. Oh, for oh. sure. And I'll tell you, we only did um, two recitals because we live in a, in a small town. but mm-hmm. um, And they were told that they weren't allowed to have any food in there. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to fly. <laughs> so they told me that it they, right because I mean even my my little one, she's 7, you know, and um, you know, I have sort of an unnatural relationship with food being a a long-time food controlled diabetic. So I I know the importance of eating and 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 for focus. I mean, gee whiz, mm-hmm. if you want someone to perform well, you yeah. talk about altering cognition and the ability to remember and all of that I'm like no 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 you know my girls have to have uh you know food so they we made arrangements where <laughs> right 
right. But um, I thought to my, I can't even imagine, you know, in larger cities where they're doing, like you said, you know, seven performances, right? Yeah. That's so you're that's just so you're that craziness. Mom. So you're that mom. Oh, we have to make special arrangements for Tiffany and her girls. I'm not making special arrangements, but listen, girl, do you want to go there? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yes, I am that mom. I am that mom. I want to be that mom. I'm that mom, too. I'm going to be you. And you know what? I'm going to make myself a T-shirt that has TM on it, and that's (laughs) Tiffany Mladenich, too, right, that I can just flip open and be like, I am that mom. I am that mom. I mean, I'm not difficult about it, but... But there is, well, and I know my girls, too. So, you know, uh, my one daughter, she, you know, if she doesn't eat frequently, she goes from happy-go-lucky, you know, can just absolutely take on the universe to, you know, the look on her face where you wonder (laughs) what has just possessed your child. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a joke in our family because we'll be like, Sam needs to eat. You know, I just threw her under the bus on the radio. But but I think that's super important for, you know, um, for people to know that that's, I'm just, I'm stuck in that not enough calories in, in college athletes. And you know it goes way right. back into young ages. And let's not even talk about, Jessica, the amount of time they have to eat. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. have to eat, right? I well, told me the other day that school they have thirty five minutes for lunch. Thirty five minutes. I was like, yeah. seriously? Yeah, that sounds kind of long, even in my experience. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh yeah, I mean, I think it's even less in in a lot of places for sure. Gosh. That's so sad. Yeah. I mean, I'm a food shoveler, so I, it probably would be fine with me. It wouldn't make any difference. <laughs> but there are some kids that well, and and obviously, ideally. You don't shovel your food. That's not good for any any. No one's you know going to argue that about digestion. You know, eating slowly. Yeah. But, you know, there's some kids that physically cannot eat that fast. Like they'll throw up yeah. their food. Yeah. So well, sad. and I think the other thing we have with kids, you know, in in the middle school and in elementary and high school years kind of before they get, you know, they may be really good at sports, but they may have underlying, you know, digestive issues. So, you know, we, we might, you know, think about the, the standard snacks that you see at like a high school soccer game or something or softball game. You goldfish? know, it's like, can- yeah, it's like goldfish, <laughs> candy, um, you know, maybe some mom went crazy and made homemade cookies. Like that might be the best possible option. <laughs> Sometimes they'll have fruit, you know, but there's, like, no nutrients. And you have all these kids who have, you know, when we talk about Hashimoto's, they have underlying gluten um, issues. They have underlying celiac disease. Yeah, food sensitivities that they're unaware of. They're starting to develop gut dysbiosis, you know, by age, like, eight. And then you feed them – basically, you feed them sugar – you have them intensely exercise. You underhydrate them. Talk about a recipe for intestinal permeability. Oh you know, I mean, it really right. does start young. And thankfully, you know, kids are very resilient. But if this is the pattern that starts at age eight and continues through middle school and high school, again, we do see pretty high-functioning athletes, but they they do burn out, you know. And these girls, they the the warning signs are these things like. Certainly there were earlier warning signs, but the warning signs that are really obvious are 
amenorrhea, our stress fractures, our, oh, you know, she's sick for that competition again. Like, okay, maybe they get sick occasionally, but if they're sick three times a season, you know, that starts to look pretty excessive. Um, You know, maybe they have a cholesterol test as a part of their, you know, yearly physical, and they have already, like, low cholesterol, low HDL. And on the one hand, you think, oh, good, low cholesterol, but low HDL right. cholesterol is a, is a really huge cardiac Big risk problem. factor for women. Sure. Yeah. Sure, and mental health too, low cholesterol. Yeah. Huge. I just so, have my okay. eyes closed. I'm just I'm just like I just I'm shaking my head and and just <laughs> I don't and I want I want to like grab you and just clone you and put you all over the place. Do you mind if we do that? Yeah. Can we do that? <laughs> yeah, I, I need one of you here with me, like right on the street. That would be fabulous. Seriously, right? So let's jump right in because we could probably talk about the deficits for eight hours and running. So let's get some some really Help. tangible meat and potatoes, so to speak. Yep. What should athletic girls and women, because I imagine it's fairly fairly similar, if not exactly the same, and their coaches and healthcare professionals be screening for what should what should we be looking for? You're talking about the illness, and is there any type of testing or or just staying on top of of like you said, illness and and fatigue and all these different things? What are some classic things that people should be looking for? Anything aside from what you mentioned? And what and what can they do? Yeah, right. well, I right. think you know. Even like the pediatricians and, you know, sports physical therapists and the athletic trainers in in high schools and nutritionists, um, you know, whenever a kid who's going to be going back to a sport, you know, or the back to school physical or back to sports physical or the camp physical, things like that, we can do kind of just a general checklist history that looks at things like, you know, what time does she go to bed? What time does she wake up? Is she having? Is she struggling with insomnia? Is she waking up with energy or is she waking up with fatigue? The other really common thing that we see um, in teenage girls now and having a 12-year-old daughter, I am already starting to see this and we have to have some strict rules around this, but the, the exposure to the phones and blue light goes right. really way into the night. About There's a huge number, and I, I can't find – I haven't found this. I couldn't find this study right before we hopped on, so I can't remember the exact percentage. But it's something like more than 60% of high school girls sleep with their cell phone under their pillow. Which, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. So, that's insane. You know, <laughs> Brain cancer aside, um, it's terrible for. Say. Yeah, that is terrible for because you know they're not getting consistently uninterrupted sleep and just the blue light exposure pretty much any time after eight o'clock. So my adult women clients, I give them what I call the laptop curfew at eight p.m. every evening. So Ooh, turn I off like the TVs. That. Yeah, turn off the TVs. Laptop turn off the- curfew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All technology. And I love that. Eight o'clock. And I love it, especially for the kids. But like for me, I'm thinking, God, that's the that's the time when I finally get to like stop and like watch a show. So that's, <laughs> it's not going to apply to me. It's going to apply to my kids. I love it. Perfect. <laughs> All right, we'll start with your kids. You know, we'll get we'll start somewhere. And so turn off the blue light because we know that suppresses melatonin and makes it more difficult to have restorative sleep. So, you know, and we could go on and on about that. I mean, restorative sleep is when 
people's brains do kind of the, the, the cleanup work, the autophagy, which prevents Alzheimer's and all of these other neurodegenerative diseases. But back to the screening. So fatigue, are they getting good sleep? You know, if they get sick once or twice a year, you know, life happens, kids get viruses, these things happen. But if they're getting sick like two, three, four times a season, you know, this is a warning sign because it's showing some immune uh, immune deficiency in the sense of overexposure, not enough um, resilience to fight off minor viruses. Uh, menstrual irregularities is a good one. You know, when did the the girl get her period? Has it been fairly consistent? You know, has she been through bouts of amenorrhea? Did she have a consistent period for a while and then it dropped off? Mm-hmm. Is she having and Another important good thing, and this is on a slightly different topic, but about 10% of women have endometriosis, which usually starts in the teen years, but it's ignored because it's seen as, oh, she's got excessive cramps, she's just kind of a whiner about her cramps, she wants to skip school, but, you know, cramps, quote-unquote, killer cramps, like cramps that are so bad that a girl, her school is interrupted or she has to stay in bed, this is usually a huge this is a huge warning sign for endometriosis that we need to stop minimizing in girls cuz you know 10% of 15 16 17 year old girls have endometriosis that if they could get it treated much sooner would that would be better so it's another great mm-hmm. time to screen oh, for that that's so important yeah mm. and i would say you know certainly a cholesterol test we don't want cholesterol to be too low um we, you know, if if she's in a more of a functional medicine situation, an organic acids test or a spectra cell test to look for nutrient deficiencies, but even just a food journal, you know, I've I've right. seen food journals of a couple of teenage girls that included essentially zero vegetables. So then you're going to know that there's right. some nutrient deficiencies in there, and let's start adding, you know, a smoothie a day. And also, when we're talking about improving nutrition in teen girls, a big risk factor is is kind of contributing to an eating disorder. So we want to be sure that the whole family, you know, kind of gets on board with healthier eating and the parents are really setting an example and and doing it with the kids. It's not like, oh, you know, Jane needs to eat healthier, so she better have her weird green (laughs) smoothie. You know, that's just like a huge problem. I bring this up a couple times, but, oh, gosh, I want to say maybe two years ago there was a study that came out that said that you should be sitting down to eat with your children at least, I don't remember what it was, but I want to say it was like three times a week. And I thought, wow, that's that's crazy that that's, that that's the goal, to sit down three times a week. But when you factor in parents working and, you know, school and activities and, oh, my gosh, I mean, really, that's, that's a goal. That's craziness. Yeah. But they, they talked about children being healthier and, you know, performing better in school and happier and all these things. The goal was three times a week. That was yeah. just, I mean, that should just, it kind of reminds me of the, the grain study that came out. I was listening on the radio, and they were saying that there was a grain shortage uh, several years ago, and they were saying that it really didn't affect the United States much. And I thought, you know, I'm driving, and I'm thinking, that should alarm everybody right there. <laughs> the fact that a real food, like a real whole food shortage, wouldn't affect us much in the United States. It was 
It was craziness. But, okay, so we think, or I think, Dana, I'm just throwing you in with me here. But, uh, That's so fine. No, no. A lot of the, a lot of the coaches, uh, I was talking to um, one of my son's coaches uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about, he was a college coach, but he was talking about how many of the high school coaches at this, you know, now are volunteers. They're not even mm. teachers. Mm-hmm. Where used to be your PE teacher was a teacher that was on staff and, you know, college educated and the whole nine yards. So I'm assuming that there was, you know, some type of structure for nutrition and whatever to share with your kids. But now they're volunteers. So, so I'm thinking you need to hop on the female and male athlete <laughs> coach training. <laughs> That's right. That's Just right. add that as another thing to your foundation. Just you know, another another goal. But you know, it's kind of it's sad true. when you think about the fact. Yeah. Right. So even less information is getting shared with the kids on the importance of all of these things that are going to, like you said, problems in childhood will lead them throughout their lifetime. How sad, right? Something that, you know, could be happening at 15, 16, 17 is going to affect them throughout their lifetime. Right. And I think in women, you know, we have an opportunity here, you know, to, to, screen for and and encourage nourishing whole foods eating encouraging you know they just they have to eat sometimes more food and it it seems silly because we have an obesity problem as well but it's not you know more good quality food really is what will solve both of those problems you know it's not that it people sometimes people are eating excessive junk calories but it's very rare that people are eating excessive nourishment and so even in this population which is seen as healthy and fit there is a is a sense of undernourishment under sleep sure. under pleasure you know not enough fun not enough um right. rest and and so exercise and fitness and sport should be part of that nourishment it shouldn't be taking away from that nourishment so if you ask about like what's the structure of what to do Look at how, you know, the puzzle pieces of that girl's life, are they nourishing her? You know, she's going to school, gaining wisdom. Is she eating enough to fuel that? Is she sleeping enough to recover from that? Is she exercising in a way that's, you know, joyful and invigorating? Is she, you know, or is by the end of her day, she's just depleted and then can't sleep? So it's sort of like we get these initial you know, wired and tired um, signs really, really young. And then if if we miss the opportunity in high school or even college because you've got, you know, I had a lot of friends who were uh, collegiate gymnasts and, you know, they'd be like drinking alcohol on the weekend and then, you know, doing right <laughs> in the next day in like a gymnastics competition, which, whew, that's dangerous. But, um, <laughs> you know, we, right. we may like, miss how the do window. We do it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We may miss the window in high school and college because people are young and they do stupid things and you have to just go allow that. But then, oh, you and know. Tiffany, and by the way, Tiffany and I never did anything stupid, just so you know, <laughs> right off the top. Right off the top. I just want to throw that out there. Let me tell you something. When people, when people could start scanning pictures and putting it on Facebook, I'll, my very first thought was, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes the blackmail. <laughs> That's right. When it comes you know. back from 20 years ago, 30 years ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
Oh, I hope none of my friends oh, are sorry. listening because they'll ahead. know they're I'm like, sorry. oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what well, we can say is, you know, even if we miss these windows when people and kids are young, you know, in in the later 20s, in the early 30s, when women start thinking about fertility, and, you know, they're going to Zumba conventions when they already have, you know, some minor thyroid suppression or some minor menstrual irregularities or they've had a couple of stress fractures or a couple of small orthopedic injuries. This is really, I think, a golden time because women then start to think less about, you know, they're less invincible, they're less just thinking about the sports goal or the, you know, do they want to win the competition or lower their racing time or whatever, they're thinking more about longer-term health and their ability to get pregnant and their ability to, you know, continue um, right. living more healthily. So focused. we can jump in right. at, at different times that I think all, the screening is really valid during any of these times. Oh, totally agree. Now, there was a study that said that 85% of children were vitamin D deficient. And when you think about it, you know, um, Kids spend a lot of time indoors, even athletes that are indoor athletes. You look at gymnastics and ballet and, you know, these are indoor sports. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. their exposure to sunlight and then, of course, stress on top of that. But 85%, I was like, wow, that's huge. That, that's, that's a, a huge, huge number. number. Yeah, that's yeah. Huge well, number. and it starts, you know, it even starts in, in infancy when, you know, women pregnant, I mean, breastfeeding women, need to be taking supplements of at least, you know, if they're not getting appropriate sunlight exposure, which really no one is. I mean, I, I was actually at a conference. I was teaching in London a couple of years ago a bunch of fitness professionals, and one of them, her, her whole job was teaching, uh, you know, aerobics and, and personal training, and it was all outdoor classes. And But mm-hmm. she lived in England, so she was still right. um, in vitamin D deficient. Wow. <laughs> You know, breastfeeding moms need a minimum of like four to five thousand IU's of vitamin D to get enough for them. Never mind to have sort of overflow for their infants. Well, even high quality. You look at you know high quality prenatal vitamins. They what they cap out maybe at a thousand IU's. That's yeah. crazy. That's yeah. a huge difference right there. A yeah. thousand to four to five thousand IU's. Yeah. That's yeah, and you include, know, as a don't they, well, yeah, some of them don't they include some terrible things in there too that you you know some a lot of people don't even realize the doctor says here take some prenatal vitamins and they're full, filled you right. know with I oh don't know, god they're horrible all usually folic acid yeah. and all kinds of stuff right yeah I mean the, yeah that's a whole other topic like you certainly have to be mindful of taking excessive synthetic folic acid but yeah. you know I think. When we, when we, I always say to my patients, because, you know, as a nutritionist, I do recommend a fair number of supplements, but I always say you can't supplement, and as a physical therapist, I always recommend exercise, but you can't supplement, you can't exercise your way out of a bad diet. So you still have to start with the foundation Ooh, I love that. <laughs> of nourishing food. Yeah. Yeah. You have to start with that good foundation, and you have to start with those, you know, basic needs we always sort of underemphasize things like sleep and just eating enough food and getting enough water and having enough pleasure in life but you need that and then you sometimes need the supplements on top of it and then you need to figure out what's the appropriate exercise prescription for that person you know and it's really somewhat individual depending on all of these other factors and how robust their 
their thyroid and the rest of their endocrine system are. Otherwise, you know, pushing exercise to exhaustion isn't going to cause any weight loss and it's just going to end up exhausting people. Well, and you just you just cracked the door for um, a great question talking about the HPA access health, uh, protecting long-term, you know, with the thyroid and the adrenals and overdoing it and just, oh, my gosh, that's adrenals. Dana knows a little bit about that, don't you, love? <laughs> Pretty sure my HPA is not where it needs to be. <laughs> Her HPA has HP ended. <laughs> it's H. It's oh. HPZ. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, total, total stupid, stupid. There having <laughs> a stupid moment. <laughs> yeah. So well, what, what you know. Can, go ahead. So sorry. what can we do there? I think. Yeah. What can we do? It, there? it comes back to is is the exercise program nourishing or stressful? And that's the first question to ask, you know, because ultimately when it's inducing, so, you know, in, in my case, when I was struggling with my HPA access, just tanking, I was pushing myself to exercise so I could sleep, but it wasn't working. You know, I was exercising and exercising and exhausted and still not sleeping, or maybe I would fall asleep, you know, crash for a couple of hours and then wake up in the middle of the night. So, I think, it, and it goes back to coaching too. And, and as you said, it's interesting that that more and more of the coaches are volunteers because they aren't really trained in in how to really coach. Right. You know, from that nutrition or physical exercise. Yeah, I mean those those are pretty big important subjects for a yeah. coach. You know? Right, and would, they don't know say. much about you know, the science of that, but they also are not necessary. You know, we have to be careful of what we're emphasizing with kids and with adults. You know, are we emphasizing that whole person being fit and energetic and, you know, maybe reaching some goals that they've set for themselves, or are we just focused on performance and um, a body, you know, how thin they look? And, you know, we have to be careful how we're talking to the girls that our coaches are coaching because it makes a difference. We we have to set them up for success in terms of what are the parameters that the coach is pushing them towards. I love that. Mm-hmm. Amen. We're going to clone you and, and plop you in all these different cities. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's I, – I honestly think it's a much – more important subject that's that's then is being emphasized in in today's super busy lifestyle. I mean, let's face it, you know, for a normal kid in the 70s in school, you know, they're basically doing what an adult, you know, nowadays they're doing what an adult's doing as far as like strenuous stress and in elementary school, they're carrying that mm-hmm. same stress load that it used to be back when that adults mm-hmm. were carrying. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's got to be a recipe for long-term disaster. And and you know, um, I don't know. I think it's I think it's awesome what you do, and I think it's a way more important topic than people think. Like you said, people are just like, oh, my kids. I'm just gonna. They're in all these activities, and their kids are exhausted. They're yeah. exhausted. 
You know, I mean, we well, have, and, this is going to sound so stupid, but we have, like, if our family goes to Disneyland or whatever, our kids are down for the next couple of days. Yeah. You know, and I have friends that, you know, the kids are doing things on top of things and their behavior, they're having trouble with their behaviors. And I, you know, they're exhausted. The kids are like, I can't keep this pace. I can't do yeah. this. Yeah. And, you know, I think we need to model that because, you know, I was talking to a colleague of mine and I said, well, anytime I schedule that I, myself at a conference, especially if I've got to travel, when I come back, I take a day off. And, you know, even if it's less, you know, I may not be completely off. I mean, you know, running my own practice, I've always got email and things like that. But I won't schedule patients. Right. And they're like, oh, <laughs> you know. But right. it's true. You know, you're gonna, you're sometimes changing time zones. You're, you know, when I go to conferences, a lot of times the meetings are all day, and then there's like dinners at night and things like that. So you're you're fully present. You're busy or doing an activity or like you said you go to disney world or let's say or they do an eight-hour recital you know give them the next day off or two days they're just kids kids and adults right like you said and and that's modeling right is is having that you know it's a down day at an exhausting day or driving too much or or whatever it's it's time for my body to recoup and that's a great way for you know parents to teach their kids any special i mean you listen Huh? And also, I was going to say, and also to listen to their kids, because, you know, you mentioned earlier, Jessica, about, you know, having their period and, and not really, and, and thinking, well, they're just whining. And, you know, I mean, there's, it's, there's a lot going on, and, and you have to listen right. to your kids, too, you know, you, and, and, and sometimes you've got to talk for them. Sometimes, you know, you've got to make them, make them stop. Sometimes you have to make them sit down, make them, yeah. you know, not be busy the next day or not make plans and all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, you got to listen to their bodies for them, kind of, right? Absolutely. Well, teach them. Mm-hmm. I mean, even my own daughter, my 12-year-old, you know, uh, going to throw her under the bus. I might as well just take down the whole family in this program. But, <laughs> you know, talking about uh, periods, you know, oftentimes we forget, you know, I had her read some stuff on, on what's to be expected, you know, any questions and this and that, but... You know, as far as what is a normal amount of pain for, for a child who's never been in abdominal pain? Do you know what I'm saying? To help them yes. learn what, what, is, what is normal pain for a period, you know, to help your, your daughter understand what, what is normal and what's outside of that range. And when it's outside of that range, then you need to come talk to mom. Or, you know, how often do we really like in-depth, talk about period or oh honey gee whiz you know here's some flowers welcome to the world of femininity and you know here's some pads or whatever and 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 good luck you know we'll cycle together and when I get snappy we'll just but I mean really get in depth on what her body is supposed to do and how she's supposed to feel so she knows what's normal and what's not normal I mean that was something that that was really um uh, we had a conversation the day because she was she's very active and she was you know, not normal for her. And so mm-hmm. I caught my eye and I said, you know, are you okay? And she said, I'm just in a lot of pain. I'm in a lot of pain. And, you know, I said, yeah, period. And, yeah, she said, this is, you know, so we had that conversation. And I thought, well, she's, you know, she's had her period for almost a year now. 
Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, I remember because she got her period. This is, you know, a TMI for, for everyone who's listening. But the day. <laughs> I love this story. Like literally 10 minutes. Dana, do you remember that? I totally remember. 10 minutes remember. before our very first Thyroid Nation radio airing. 10 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, I had this look on my face like, are you kidding me? Right? Like, oh, my God, okay. So well, I'll never forget that. So however long that shoot were over a year and a half or whatever. A year but, and a half, yeah. Yeah. But it was. this is the first time she ever had a different amount of pain. And so, you know, we said, well, let's see what happens. And But how often do we get into that, you know what I mean, with our 12 and, you know, 13 or, or menstruating daughters? You know, sometimes life can be so busy that we miss things like that. And that's... Yeah. And I had friends, and I had friends who were so glad because they they would miss their period. And they would right. be so happy. Right. Well, you know, and clinically, you know, a lot of what the answers are to that, which I think we have to be really careful of, you know, the kind of knee-jerk reaction to, oh, her period pain is excessive or her periods are heavy or her periods are irregular. Is the the, the, Well, (laughs) Motrin, yes, which is is a problem in and of itself because of Mm -hmm. the problem with the gut uh, impact. But it's also a a cardiovascular problem. system uh, problem, you know, it's a risk factor for heart disease to be on Advil even for short periods of time. Mm-hmm. So, but beyond the, those risks, the the other issue is girls are put on the birth control pill really early. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, and it's like, oh, we'll just that's put you on the pill. That's what they did to me. Yeah, to yeah. me for my pain. Yeah, and yeah. that's a big problem because, number one, we, we lose that information, you know, um, you shouldn't be having period pain. I mean, having one day of kind of mild right. cramping kind and of fatigue right. is right. normal, normal, yeah. Right. But anything worse than that is is an indicator light. It's like fatigue. It's like muscle soreness. It's like back pain. It's like headaches. You know, these are these are light, little yellow Messages. lights. That yeah. tell us, yeah, that the, that things are not quite right. And when you kind of, essentially, what the birth control pill does is suppress you from having a cycle. And uh-huh. there are really long-term consequences to this. I, I treat a lot of women with pelvic pain. You know, women on the birth control pill are more likely to have pain with orgasm. They're more likely to have pain with sex. They're more likely. They're less likely to have sex as often. Um, and part of that is because you're suppressing estrogen and progesterone really, you know, starting in, in the teen years. Mm-hmm. And some of the um, proteins that can be elevated by the birth control pill can stay permanently elevated and can cause permanent sexual dysfunction. So, you know, it's not the right first answer. You know, certainly right. there are reasons to be on any medication at certain times but to just right. say to a 14 year old girl oh your periods aren't quite right well let's just you know go in the birth control pill that'll right. even them out but that's just not even right. true you know and it's funny that day um because i said you know we had talked a little bit anyway she ended up she was hungry but she yeah. didn't feel hungry <laughs> so then after she ate then the pain went away you know because i i you know, I'm not a fan of, of Motrin and this and that. I mean, it has its place, but it's obviously yeah. not a a monthly deal. You know what I mean? So, right. or you have to understand, it's a message. Pain is a message that something is wrong. Something is not square somewhere. So, but she was hungry. I mean, how simple is that? She was like, well, yeah. I really didn't feel hungry. Because you know that kind of fullness feeling you get during your cycle? And she was like, I really didn't yeah. feel hungry. And I'm like, well, you were hungry, so... Yeah, and, away. 
you just start to tune into those messages, and I think that's important. And, you know, when we take female athletes and we put them on continuous birth control pills so that you were saying, like, your friends are like, great, I didn't, you know, they're they're working out so hard that they don't have a period or they're on continuous birth control so they don't have a period. So that, how much easier is that? You just don't even have to deal with it. But you miss some things, too. I was teaching a lecture a couple of weeks ago on – Really, there's a lot of interesting information about the variations that happen with the hormone cycles. And, for example, women burn more fat and utilize fat better as a um, as a resource, a nutrition resource in the first half, especially the like say days like five to ten or fourteen of their cycle. So the first the second week or so of their menstrual cycle if, if day one is the first day of bleeding. And so if you know these things, you're also more confident at that time and, you know, there are some other benefits to having relatively high levels of or the, the peak estrogen and peak testosterone levels that you're going to get every month. And there are some actual sports performance benefits that you could gain from these things if you're aware of them. But if you're constantly suppressing your cycle, number one, you're not getting those benefits. And number two, you're just simply kind of, again, quieting some of these messages that can be very valuable. And I think the other important thing about tuning into your cycle as an athlete is, you know, one of the the biggest ways to to prevent problems with the thyroid and the adrenals and the whole HPA axis and, you know, reproductive consequences of excessive exercise is to have periodic rest um, where maybe you're not totally just skipping practice or whatever, but you're exercising less intensely. Maybe you have two full days off. Maybe you're cross training. Maybe you're doing yoga instead of, you know, something more intense. Maybe there's a restorative Thing. Maybe you're even just maintaining rather than trying to push to a stronger weight or a faster pace or whatever. And doing that on a monthly cyclical basis in alignment with the um, luteal phase of your cycle actually is really beneficial for allowing for further performance gains in the first half of the next month's cycle. So it's a if you're really tapped into your own kind of uh, hormonal rhythms, you can get a lot of performance benefits if you know to look for them. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that that's awesome. I'm I'm in a flower field. I'm in a serious flower field right now. <laughs> uh, I am I, too. I, can look I am back. too. I'm just trying not to even talk through it because I'm there's so much good information and so many things to think about and so many questions to be asking and things to be doing. So I'm in a I'm in a flower field moment too. So whew. Okay, okay. We should we should probably let her go. Let's let's wrap up a few things and and ask her some great some quick tips and and how to you know if you've got Hashimoto's, how can you exercise correctly or just some just some good tips so we can wrap this up for you and let you get on with your beautiful day. Thank you. I think you know the number one tip if you're already struggling with thyroid issues is to make sure that when you're exercising, it feels nourishing and it doesn't feel depleting. Um, Exercise is really beneficial, but depending on the stage and how much recovery you've had and how much nutrition support you've got for your Hashimoto's and how healthy your gut is, exercise can be an unnecessary added stressor. So start with, 
you know, restorative kinds of exercise, yoga, tai chi, walking, swimming at a slow pace. Do it consistently consistently because restorative exercise can be very nourishing. And then eventually you can progress to, you know, strength training, which has a lot of bone benefits and, you know, sports and, and things like that for some of the mental health benefits and some of the joy out of it. But be mindful that, you know, adding intense exercise to an already depleted uh, endocrine system is is not going to be benefiting you. And then in in terms of prevention, you know, exercising intensely and doing sports, again, is a really great thing for a lot of kids and a lot of adults, but we've got to support it with what I call scaffolding. You know, you've got to have calories. You've got to have nutrients. You've got to have sleep. You've got to have time off. You've got to, you know, take some time for restorative exercise, even if you are healthy enough to, to do intense exercise. So it's a matter of really personalizing it to where that person is in her journey of health. And, and hmm. mindful movement. We've 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 said that before, and and we've talked about it a few times. Mindful movement. You know, like mm-hmm. like you said, listening to your body and doing what works. Because you know, even like some of the list of things that you just mentioned, some of those things might not even be accessible for some people. Some people may just have to sit right. in a chair and <clears throat> do arm circles or move whatever yeah. it is. You yeah, know? you know, lay on the floor with your legs up the wall. I mean, that's restorative yeah. yoga. Yes, right there. Yes, right. Absolutely. Restorative yoga. My friend yoga. does that. She was a yogi. She does that almost every morning. So there you go. From a restorative yogi, yoga. Right? She does her Did legs you say up the wall. Restorative yoga. Yeah. Yeah. She does that that pose where she lays on the on the ground and does her legs up the wall every morning. And so yeah, I mean that's a it's a great thing to do. So do it. And joy, something that brings you joy. Don't exercise to exercise. Exercise, right, make sure it's something you enjoy doing. It's just a... Yeah. Mm. And I don't know if you know this, but we do always say just, you know, as our closing, very last couple sentences we say on every single show, Jessica, is be mindful of what your body's telling you. Listen to it. So so that just hammered that in. So thank you so much. At least we know we're staying you write things on every show so we appreciate it and if we could clone you, you boy we would we absolutely we would because we would put you in all the schools and on every corner we would coach training and just all of it volunteer or speaking of well, which wonderful things on the rise for you can you share some things yes, that uh, on the horizon um, yeah, well, we're doing. We do have a female athlete program. So if you are a coach or a uh, physical therapist or a health coach or a nutritionist, we do train professionals in all of this juicy stuff awesome. for female athletes. And our waiting list is open right now. So if you go to the website um, integrativewomenshealthinstitute.com and click on the female athlete box under the professional training, you know, put your name on that waiting list and we'll let you know when the next training is open. And we are going to actually be hosting a live conference in December uh, with a number of speakers on all sorts of topics around female athletes uh, in New York. So, you know, again, if you put your name on the female athlete waiting list, we'll, we'll email you. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we'll, that's my first step in, in my ability to, to clone myself. <laughs> <laughs> See, we love it. We were thinking ahead and you were already there. 
That's right. Teaching everybody else because uh, since I can't be everywhere at once, so that's right. uh, that's what we're up to. Yeah. Well, that is somewhat a version of cloning. Is, right? <laughs> Probably like, a much like I got better, it. more ethical version of cloning too. Because <laughs> I was, I was putting you on the corner, and I'm not sure how that sounded. You know, I was going to say later with all your clothes and everything. Way more ethical. I love that. Thank you guys for saving me. You know, just leave, leave it to me. Sometimes, you know, we are a bit off the cuff, and, and that's how we, that's how we do our show. So I'm so glad. You had fun with us today, and thank you so much for joining us. We're going to share with everybody where they so can much. find you. Thank and, you. Um, we really, really just appreciated it. I uh, just got goosebumps. What a fun, amazing show. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. It was my absolute pleasure. Okay, have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what am I going to say? <laughs> That's my I favorite. Know. It is. I mean, I I feel like I personally had so much damage from childhood, <laughs> from being <laughs> over athleticized or whatever the the formal word would be for it. But you know, yeah, it, yeah. It just it just a pooped little person. I don't know. That's all I can. That's how I can define it. I was a pooped little person trying to expose me and you know make. I I know my parents did it for you know, for the best reasons and but I was a pooped little person. I was. Well and, and, <laughs> so yeah. and Jessica, I think about the long term so you know, health consequence. Huh? Yeah. So you know, I was gonna say, Jessica, just so you know, it's funny because, you know, every show we have, Tiffany will always end with, Okay, now that's my favorite. And so that's what she <laughs> said just now. My favorite. This is my favorite, favorite. Show. So, at this time. So she promises. <laughs> Because it's so important. And what you're talking about, well, plus it hits home because we're women and, and we are, everything you're talking about is, you know, hit home for us. And we have kids and daughters, both of us, and, and you do too. So, again, yeah. I'm going to just reiterate favorite, favorite show. So thank you so much um, for joining us. And, and truly, <laughs> it was our favorite show. We promise. It was my favorite show. <laughs> it is my favorite show. <laughs> thank and you so much. And we need so to have much. you back my to talk about too. other other yeah, we do. We want to have you back things. talk about PCOS and, and all kinds of stuff. So we'll have you back. So have a fabulous day again. And um, thank you. Our favorite. We promise. Uh-huh. <laughs> we all need right. to thank you so much. on multiple things. <laughs> Thanks again. <laughs> have a great okay, day. Bye bye. <sighs> right? Honestly. I'm telling you, I mean, seriously, I was a cook little person. <clears throat> so I mean, I, I think, and I think, I think I parents, too. you know, Probably. I think it's probably more common than, you know, I don't know. I, I Maybe it's maybe it's somewhat um, self-absorbed, but I feel like our generation, you know, that would be in that 45 to 50 right now, lots of things changed for us in the 70s. We were the, you know, the kids that were the 70s, and I don't know. I think a lot of things changed. Food changed. I think expectations and, of course, you know, exposure, all these athletes and um you know i don't know i think lots of terms changed for our generation so it has. i think it, i don't it you think you so know, i mean on. it was like can you look, just look at the commercials and and just what we've been through uh, commercials and, and and i mean really commercials about food and what the food you know and then you've got the whole dinner uh dinner tray what's it called um when you put it in the oven and you cook it really oh fast my God, like, all in one 
TV dinners. dinners? Now, see, see what happened to me after all the TV dinners? I couldn't even remember what they were called. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> Seriously, just everything that's happened in, in our generation. I mean, I guess we're some kind of guinea pigs for our for our kids, which is fine. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather it be me than my kids. So um, what a wonderful show this was today, Tiff. It was. And you can find, so we don't miss out on this amazing woman and where to find her, you can find all things Jessica at Integrative Women's Health Institute.com. Integrative. And that's uh, whether, huh? She used that word a lot. Integrative. So we'll know that, that is the first <clears throat> word in her, in her uh, website name, Integrative. Right. She said it so many times today. And, and so, yes, IntegrativeWomensHealthInstitute.com. She's got lots of good things coming her up. For professionals so. and Patients yes. and her blog, yes. and you can find all things there. IntegrativeWomensHealthInstitute.com. Uh, she's she gonna, is amazing. She, she's going to write us a an article too on Thyroid Nation, so I'm excited for that. She mentioned that today Ooh. in our email, so I'm excited because she really, that. really was she really was wonderful, and you can just tell a kind soul, you know, when you hear them. So um, it's really nice to chat with her. Okay. As always, a very big thank you to our listeners. Please share your Thyroid Thriver journey with us at thyroidnation.com. It will help others. Can you imagine if, you know, she had her story on here, you know, just other people listening and reading or reading the stories and things, questions they would have been able to come up with when they went to their next doctor's appointment. So share your story. It really does help others. And, uh, you know, you know, of course, be mindful of your body and, and all of that, but share your story so others can, can learn from it. Hmm. Hmm. I'm in a flower field. Uh, as always, please be sure to check out Thyroid Nation Essentials at thyroidnation.com. Dana and I made these, formulated these with love and light and healthy, clean. They're good for people with thyroid problems, without thyroid problems, just wonderful, preservative-free, synthetic-free skincare. Yeah, they're they're really Yummy! They smell good, and I'm out of all of mine, so I, I need to place an order for myself. I shall be doing that re- in here pretty soon, because um, I'm sitting here with my last little teeny tiny bit of I'm your everything, and I'm spraying it around the room. Everybody's making noise around me. I keep spraying when they walk by. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm on the, and I'm you don't have there. your brain awake, do you? You don't have no, your I brain don't. awake, do you? I gifted all of my uh, things I was using to Isabella Wentz uh, when I went to see her a couple weeks ago, and I and she said, "Oh, I love this. Oh, I love this. Can I buy this?" Can I? Well, I was not going to have Isabella Wentz purchase anything in her first try. I mean, of course, if she wants to reorder, she can. But so I gifted her all of my all of my Thyroid Nation essential oil blends, and uh, she loves them. So it's kind of neat. But now I don't have any, so i got to place my own order again. We're going to fix so that. I use my brain awake a lot on the on the Wednesday morning show. This is this is the first time I haven't had Tuesday's it. Tuesday's a long day. Tuesday's a long day for right. me. So mm-hmm. I, get up, you know, I get up early Wednesday to to do this. And so I, I really enjoy I enjoy my brain awake intermittently throughout the show. Me too. <laughs> you can't right. hear me going, can you? I'm just kidding. Thank goodness. No, I try to turn my head a little bit as I'm <laughs> sniffing, you know. But then I'm also spraying things. And then I brought I brought down a little sample that Tiffany gave me because, as I said, I'm out of my things that she sent a long time ago when we were trying to formulate and she was getting me, sending me smells and things. So I have this little teeny tiny bit amount of Restore to put on my face and I've got it sitting here too. Oh, yeah. Um, because I'm out of Call Me Pretty, my favorite for my face. So uh, it's pitiful, right? We should be better than that. Okay, guys, 
<laughs> make sure to follow us on ThriveWithNation.com and all social media platforms. The only thing we're not on is Snapchat, and I don't know if I'm going to jump on, but everybody seems to say it's really great and fun, so maybe I will. So we also have a, face, we have a Facebook group called Hoshies and Graves. Check it out. We list the upcoming shows and uh, all kinds of information. So Hoshies and Graves, type that in, you'll find us. Mm-hmm. And super important, Dan, and I always, again, want to remind you that wellness is a journey and takes continual maintenance and evaluation. As long as you are alive on this planet, you've got to do checking in with your body on a daily basis, anything from exercise to nutrition to it's so important and you're designed to get all of that information as long as you're listening to yourself. So make sure to always listen to your own body and be mindful of what's telling you. Amen. This is Dana, your thyroid nation, Gringatica from Costa Rica. And Tiffany Maladnitz of Grateful Garden. Bringing the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united, we heal. Thanks, guys. See you next week, next time. <laughs>